Hello and welcome to episode 255 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. How are you this week? Living the autumnal gales, rain and petrol shortages dream? Yeah, me too. Though I'm moving next month. Woohoo! Staying in Scotland and heading a bit further north, which is exciting. Well, for me anyway. For today's story, we are in the Midlands. And we look at events that happened straight after a big football match. Events that destroyed many lives. But firstly, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Wendy Hay, Susan Crowey, Amy Keating, Debbie Riches, and the hilariously named Harold Shipman. Thank you all so much for your support. Sorry to disappoint you, but no adverts this week. Don't worry, they'll be back next time. So let's go straight to our world-famous guest of month and year game. In the UK, the Trouser Snake was top of the UK charts with Madonna, with four minutes. In the US, it was another big month for rock fans, with the top spot filled by Mariah Carey with Touch My... Oh, Touch My Body. In Australia, the top album was Watershed from Katie Lang. In the news this month, two skeletal remains found near... Well, I won't say it found in Russia, were confirmed by Russian scientists to be the remains of Alexei Nikolaevich, the Tsarevich of Russia and one of his sisters. Back to more mundane matters, on Oprah Winfrey, David Blaine set a new record for holding his breath underwater at 17 minutes and almost 5 seconds. And the inquest into the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, recorded a verdict of accidental death caused by the heavy drinking, drug use and speeding of her chauffeur Henry Paul, who died in the crash along with Diana and Dodie Fayette. Is this story still covered in the Express every day? In fact, does the Express even still exist? Now, don't ever say that this podcast doesn't pose the big questions. Anyway, did you get the month and year? It was April 2008. Aston Villa versus Birmingham is a huge local derby for supporters of the two Midlands clubs. And on the 20th of April 2008, there was another meeting in the Premier League in front of a full crowd at the home of Aston Villa, Villa Park. Ashley Young and John Carew both scored twice as Villa outclassed Birmingham on this occasion, keeping their local rivals deep in relegation trouble. Macau Forcell scored a consolation for Birmingham, but there was still time for Gabriel Abonglahore to grab a fifth. If you've been to a major sporting event, you will know just how it is at the final whistle, when the mainly happy crowds disperse back to cars, coaches, train stations and local pubs and restaurants. And it was no different on this day. It had been an early kick-off, and at about 2.45pm, one small group of Villa fans, including a man called David Hall and another named Christopher Priest, made their way back to Aston Hall Road towards Aston train station to catch a bus to Erdington. As they were doing so, a car approached them, driven by someone called Lee Mockball. Lee had gone to Aston in Birmingham with two friends, Ryan Pedley and Oliver Higgins. Ryan had to pop in to see a friend, and as Lee had time on his hands that day, he happily gave him a lift. They didn't know the area that well, and Lee drove with the flow of the traffic, 
expecting that it would soon lead back to a main road, which would then take them back towards the city centre. As they passed the new Aston Social Club on Aston Hall Road, a group of about 10 men were making their way out of the club as Lee's car went past. One of them shouted at the car, Are you noses? This is a derogatory word used by Aston Villa supporters about supporters of Birmingham City, who they call blue noses. None of the three men in the car responded, and Lee, aware that this situation could easily escalate, started to partially close the open passenger window. But unfortunately the situation did escalate, when all of a sudden one of the men, Daniel Brown, who frankly should have known better, came out of the club with a half-full pint of beer and threw the glass at the passenger window. The window smashed and the passenger, Ryan Pedley, suffered a nasty head wound. Three police officers witnessed this attack and immediately they moved in to arrest Daniel Brown. The group he was with complained to police that they'd arrested the wrong man, but the officers had clearly seen the unprovoked attack take place and knew exactly who was responsible. After this incident, Lee was shaken, and he went to the wrong side of the road to avoid the traffic and make his escape from the threatening situation. What then happened is not fully agreed, but let me tell you to the best of my ability from the accounts I've heard. Lee continued driving down the road before pulling into a shop car park as Ryan's head was bleeding and the glass had gone all over the car. Lee got as much of the loose glass as he could out of the car, it was awkward to sit on, and he gave Ryan his jumper to put on his head as he was losing quite a lot of blood. Ryan then swapped places with Oliver and sat in the back of the car. Lee turned the ignition on and now turned right out of the car park and started to drive away from where the incident had taken place. But shortly afterwards, Ryan's bleeding got significantly worse and he became alarmed. He was covered in blood and he started to panic as he shouted, Get me to a hospital! Get me to a hospital now! Lee turned round to see his friend drenched in blood, so he quickly turned the car around and headed back towards the football ground as he knew there would be paramedics there. As they came down the road, the group of men from the new Aston Social Club, joined by others, were in the road and they began to pelt the car with sticks, stones and other objects. Lee tried to avoid the group as he headed for a grass verge, but one of the group of men, Christopher Priest, fell into the path of the car and he was killed almost instantly. Lee's car then hit a pickup truck and came to a stop, whereupon the occupants of the car got out and made a run for it. Lee and Oliver managed to escape the crowd of men who chased them, but the group caught the injured Ryan and beat him further, leading him in a pretty bad way. Meanwhile, 26-year-old Christopher Priest had died almost immediately of the major injuries he received when he had been hit by the VW Golf, and he lay dead in the road. When detectives arrived at the scene, witnesses told them that the car hadn't been trying to evade the men in the street, but had in fact been used as a lethal weapon to drive at the group, presumably in a revenge attack for the earlier glass being broken against the car. 
Christopher Priest, when he'd been hit, had been dragged along by the speeding car for over 30 metres. One witness who'd been walking with Christopher told how after the incident with the glass, Lee Mockball shot off down the road and performed a rapid U-turn before he deliberately drove at the group of football fans. The witness continued, Then I heard someone say, That's the car, here they come again. I saw the car heading towards them. It was travelling way too fast. A person in the road seemed to have slipped, but the car continued to go over him and dragged his body. He was under the wheels. Detectives knew they had to find the men responsible, and quickly. But with emotions understandably running high, they faced immediate problems of trying to stop any other violence occurring. Police flooded the city centre to stop any other attacks taking place as rumours swirled online and in the pubs that a supporter of Aston Villa had been murdered by fans of Birmingham City. Incorrectly, actually, as the driver of the car was in fact an Aston Villa supporter. Detective Inspector Nick Walton said, Of course there were fears that there might be revenge attacks and other incidents between rival fans. As soon as we possibly could, we released a statement saying that the death had not been sparked by football rivalry. Murder detectives hunted the three men who had been in the Volkswagen Golf, but it didn't take long for Lee Mockball and his two passengers Ryan Pedley and Oliver Higgins to be identified. Lee's insurance records in the car showed he was the owner, and Ryan Pedley's passport was in the glove compartment. Witnesses were able to positively ID Oliver Higgins as the other man in the car, and it wasn't long until all three men were in custody. Lee had made his way home, and his dad took his son to Queen's Road Police Station, thinking that he'd done nothing wrong. After all, he was the one being attacked. At this time, he said he was unaware that Christopher Priest had lost his life. Ryan Pedley was quickly picked up by the police locally, and Oliver Higgins was found by police at Folkestone Ferryport, as he was believed to be attempting to escape to Spain. In custody, detectives discovered that after his car was attacked, Lee drove to a supermarket car park, where glass bottles were collected for potential use. Then in an act of revenge, he headed back towards the group of men, significantly in excess of the 30 mile an hour speed limit, and drove directly at Christopher Priest on the wrong side of the road, without attempting to swerve or brake, killing Christopher almost instantly. Lee Mockpool denied this. He denied speeding and deliberately knocking down Christopher Priest. He said, I can only think that Mr Priest came in front of the car. So was it a revenge attack or just a dreadful accident? It would be for a jury to decide, but detectives uncovered information about one of the passengers in the car, Oliver Higgins, which suggested that he was a man who liked to take revenge. In 2005, three years earlier, he'd been a front seat passenger in a van whose wing mirror had been smashed. Higgins and the driver of the van then chased 17-year-old Andrew Richards in revenge for the wing mirror incident. Higgins and his accomplice chased a terrified teenager and when they caught him they assaulted him, stole his gold chain 
and they also threatened to bite off his ear. In the same year, Charmer Higgins threatened to burn down his parents' house while both his mum and dad were inside. He later faced court at Worcester where he pleaded guilty to making threats to destroy property, assault, causing actual bodily harm and stealing a gold chain. At the court hearing, his defence barrister said that although Higgins represented a continuing risk, he was not, and I quote, inherently dangerous. For these offences, he was sentenced to a three-year community rehabilitation order on condition that he complied with psychiatric treatment after reports concluded that he'd shown signs of a personality disorder. The judge told him that he'd callous unconcern for the feelings of others and a low threshold of aggression, yet the judge ruled out jail to give him a last chance. It also transpired that at the time of the incident near Villa Park, both Higgins and Mockball were on bail after an affray. Mockball later received a custodial sentence for this, while Higgins was ordered to pay a fine. Now, of course, past behaviour from one of the passengers doesn't mean that Lee Mockball was guilty of murder. That was to be decided at Wolverhampton Crown Court in 2009. The trial lasted two weeks. Lee Mockball denied murder and causing death by dangerous driving, and his two passengers weren't charged with any offences, so didn't face court. Talking of the incident itself, he said, If I hit the brakes at any point, I thought I might have got killed. I thought my life was in danger and I was scared. I was panicking. There was a group of six to eight people on one side of the road, and a group of three to four people on the other side, as well as a black pickup jeep. I tried to drive right around the group on the grassy verge and pavement. And asked why he'd headed back towards the men, he said, I turned the car around because Ryan was shouting to get him to a hospital. I thought there'd be some paramedics in the direction we'd come from. Under cross-examination, Mockbull admitted that he'd answered all police questions with the response no comment while being interviewed the day after the incident. And under cross-examination, he also admitted that he'd not seen Christopher Priest beckoning towards him, contradicting what he had said in a previous statement. It was an emotional courtroom, with the family of Christopher Priest having to leave the room on more than one occasion. And whilst Lee Mockball was giving his evidence, he broke down when he talked about the day of the incident, especially when he said he'd not seen anyone in front of him, but felt two bumps, and that is when he must have run over Christopher. He told how he didn't realise anyone had been hurt until he was at the police station later that day. The jury came back just three hours after they'd been sent to deliberate with their verdict. They found Lee Mockball guilty of murder. When the verdict came, the judge, John Warner, said, I'm not wholeheartedly convinced that Mr Mockball had murder in mind, therefore I need ten minutes to deliberate. On his return, the judge said, As we know, there is common ground between defence and prosecution of fifteen years for murder, but as I've already said, I'm not wholeheartedly convinced that Mr Mockball had murder in mind, Therefore, I give him the least the law allows me to pass, which is 12 years. 
21-year-old Mockball shook his head and then put his head in his hands, but he showed no visible emotion when he was told he was to serve a life sentence in prison. Sentencing, the judge told Mockball, These events started with a piece of mindless violence directed in the direction of the car for no other reason than it was believed to contain opposing supporters. It ended with Mr Priest being mown down in the road and losing him his life. It has been said in court that you use your car as a weapon. It was a lethal weapon used by you in a dreadful act of revenge. All you had to do was carry on driving away. You simply could not let it go. You had to go and get your own back. You did this in the most disproportionate way possible. No sentence I can pass can equate to the loss of life that has happened here and the pain suffered by Mr Priest's family and friends. Unfortunately, there were very unpleasant scenes as the court emptied. Mockball's supporters abused Christopher Priest's mum Barbara and younger sister Natalie as they left the court. Police officers tried to prevent the incident escalating as Barbara cried out, Justice has been done! Mockball's friends and family responded with a raft of insults threatening to smash her face in. Speaking outside court, Christopher's dad, Lee, said, No remorse has been shown by the Mockball family and no regrets has been expressed by them. Lee Mockball is a product of his upbringing and the killer of my son shows no respect for others and reflects the family values around him. At some point, Mockball's parents will get their son back, which is something forever denied to us. At least we can say we sought justice for Christopher. We can now start to try and rebuild our lives, sadly, without our son. The family also thanked the jury for, and I quote, seeing through all of Mockball's lies. This was after hearing Mockball weeping in the witness box while giving evidence to the court. Christopher's uncle, Mike Ross, said what happened inside the car in the moments for the murder remained a baffling mystery, he said. We want to know what was going on, what was being said, that drove Mockball to do what he did. In the eyes of the law, Pedley and Higgins are innocent, but they are two or three people who know exactly what happened in the moments leading to Christopher's murder. Neither gave evidence at the trial, so these are questions we will never know the answer to. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Like Mike Ross, I too am baffled why the two passengers didn't give evidence. Was it due to the possible risk of incriminating themselves, incriminating their friend, or did they just want to forget that the incident took place? Either way, I think it's hard to argue they didn't have a moral responsibility to the family of Christopher Priest to tell the truth in court. And talking of court, nothing saddens me much more than hearing yet again that the family of the murdered man suffered abuse at the hands of the family and friends of his killer. Despite the obvious emotion of the situation, the lack of respect is, to me and I imagine to you too, really quite startling. And going back to that April day in 2008, what a terrible act of revenge to take, using a car as a lethal weapon over such a minor incident. I should add that Lee Mockball's family still think he's innocent, 
and have a website protesting his innocence. But as always, we can only go by the decision of the jury, which is that he deliberately killed Christopher Priest. As we seem to say so often on this podcast, what a terrible waste of his youth. But of course, much more importantly, our thoughts go out to the family and friends of Christopher Priest, who was just 26 when he lost his life, all that life in front of him. And I think too we should spare a thought for those who witnessed his traumatic and completely unnecessary death. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. Please head to the Facebook group to discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime. There were almost 75,000 of us there. So please do come and join us. There is always plenty of debate going on. And to support the show, patreon.com slash UK true crime is your friend. Now I'm recovering well from COVID. A bonus episode is due later this week. So get over there for that and all the other exclusive content that I post there. That's patreon.com slash a UK true crime. Well, it's that time that we all dread. No, really, it really is. I know it is for you and for me when I say goodbye for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, do please take it easy, despite all the others. I know it's been that sort of week for me too. And most of all, stay classy. Cheerio for now.